This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Daniel Henderson. And uh, we are here with you chilling, just straight chilling. How how are you doing this week? I'm okay. I'm okay. Sounds dubious. No, no, no. Actually, I'm fine. Actually, I'm relieved. Um, so, um, you know... A while, like a while ago, you know, I moved. I moved back to Atlanta, right? And f- for a long time, I was kind of uh, hemming and hawing about having to get new doctors. I- I'll just say this: you hit a certain point, I think, age-wise, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, where you just all of a sudden doctors mean everything. And they mean right. everything to you. And it's like, if you have a good doctor, you have to hold on tight and never let go. Mm-hmm. And your whole life revolves around, like, making sure that you've got, like, the right person for each of the areas of your life. Like, you know, dentist, doctor, uh, whoever, like a dermatologist, a gynecologist. So I'm like... I don't know. I had a lot of anxiety about finding a new doctor because I had all that drama happen to me in LA and I, because I had no choice, got hooked up with all this entire system of doctors in LA. And right. they basically saved my life. And they, you know, I have just been seeing them ever since and, you know, getting my MRIs and I have an oncologist, even though I don't have cancer, I have a tumor. So it's that thing where I'm like, I have to go to a uh, an oncologist and he was this like, really bizarre older man who, like, knew specifically about the type of tumor that I have, which I think is very fascinating. Yeah. Like a tumor nerd, maybe, which is a... A specialist. A specialist. (laughs) But he was very, like, nerdy about, you know, what I have. So it was that thing where I'm like, well, I can't let this guy go because he knows exactly what the hell is going on in here. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it was a huge... uh, uh, situation for me when I left LA because I was like, oh, I gotta go find all these people and they don't know my body and I don't know, what if they like, you know, think it's, it's something else, it's, you know. It's nerve-wracking to find a new doctor. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's ju- It just is. You never know what you're gonna get. You never know if you, if where you, you're moving to has what you need and yeah. or if you're gonna have to travel. Like, it's, it's nerve-wracking. Yeah. So even after I had left LA, I was still going back to LA to like go to the doctor every so often and I was getting scans there and everything. And I just was like, okay, the gig is up. I'm going to have to finally hunker down and, and get local doctors because I certainly can't continue going to doctors across the country, right? Right. So I was asking around some friends of mine, and I don't know if you do this, Danielle, but you know how there are certain people in your life where you're like, oh, they will know who a good doctor is? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. For whatever reason. Like, you just, like, look around and be like, who are my favorite hypochondriacs? <laughs> who are the ones that are, like, constantly going to the doctor and then, like, you know, they're, they're very um, fussy about it. You know what I mean? Who who of my friends takes care of themselves? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, who has sued a doctor before? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I was just sort of asking around some friends of mine, and uh, my friend Eddie Ray, who uh, is an Atlanta legend, and I love him so much. You know, I was I was at his house, and um, he was talking about his doctor, and he was like, "I'm in love with my doctor," and I'm like, "Really? How can you be in love with your doctor? Doctors are fucking scary." And he's like, "No, no, 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 no. This guy is truly the best. Like he's." so wonderful, so gentle, so kind, so this and that. And of course, I was like, well, who is it? Who is it? And he's like, well, I kind of don't want to tell you because I don't want you to fall in love with him. <laughs> I was like, okay. I'm like, now that, that is intriguing. We were like, wait, you love your doctor so much that you don't want him to have more patients? <laughs> Just to leave a lot of free time for you? <laughs> right, right. And I was like, so... You don't want me to go see your doctor because you're in love with him and he's yours and I'm going to steal him from you. This is the scenario that you've created. <laughs> like, oh, God, I love okay, it. Okay, bitch. Which, which also, like, intimates that, like, he's all, he's in love with you. Yes, yes. And that he <laughs> falls in love with all of his patients and we all have an equal shot. Um. Ah. <laughs> So he basically was, and then and then he did eventually give me his name, and then was like, "Good luck," because it's gonna take like a million years to get an appointment with him because he's so popular and amazing. And I was like, "Okay, fine." So right before the holidays, I actually called the office and I was basically like, "Can I make? I'm a new patient. Can I make an appointment with this guy or whatever?" And they were like. Whew, yeah, whew, whew. let's see. Like in this, like discouraging me, and I'm like, oh my god, who the fuck is this? Why person? is everyone gatekeeping this motherfucker already? <laughs> and listen, I mean, I'm telling you right now, I get it because, like, what I just said. I mean, it's like once you find a doctor, it's suddenly like a really important thing, and I'm like, oh my god, this guy must be really good, and everybody. <laughs> him not to have new patients. Uh, even his staff, even the people that he pays. Um, <laughs> so I ended up, like, somehow finding an appointment, like, three months from when I called. Like, I was like, you know, hey, you know, would you be able to find me something if it's, like, three months from now, like, February? Like, something in late February. They were like, yes, okay? So she, put, she puts me on the calendar as a new patient. Then when, you know, time passes, time passes, time passes, suddenly the appointment ha comes up. And I remember they called me, um, they called me to confirm. And then the lady was like, wait a second, you're a new patient? Wait, <laughs> I, I don't think he takes new patients. Let me, I'm going to have to put you on a hold. And I was like, didn't you just call to confirm my appointment with me? And now you're telling me that I may not have the appointment that I made three months ago. Yeah, and also I've wasted three months where I could have maybe gone to another doctor yes. if he's not going to take me. Yes, and I was like, shitting, girl. I was shitting. Like, she's going to come back on this line and be like, actually, I'm sorry, that was a mistake. Whoever booked your oh. appointment was on meth and was not thinking 
clearly, and I, or something, you know, basically like we fucked up and you don't have this appointment. Um, but she put me on a 10 minute hold, which took forever, <gasps> and then came back and said, actually, we're fine. Like, you know, see you tomorrow, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, thank the Lord. Brutal. So, you know, I go to the, I go to the place and of course I'm like a ball of nervousness because I'm like, I'm, the doctor makes me nervous ha- knowing that I have to like unload my entire medical history on this person and like, you know, just ha- really, really needing to find somebody that's going to like be the person to hook me up with all my other stuff. You know, it was just a lot was yeah. riding on this appointment. Okay. And I swear to God, I go in, I go into the office and the, like I wait around for a while. And then like the first person that comes up to me, you know how like when you go to the like doctor's offices and like people are like, it's like the DMV. There's like tons of fucking people in there. And then somebody just screams yeah. out your last name, like all mean, yeah, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, that's just not a good feeling. Like you're at the doctor and somebody's like, Henderson, <laughs> you know, get your ass in here. like hurry up, get your ass in here. Cattle prod, cattle prod, cattle prod. Like, they're just so hurting all the patients through, and it's very, like, annoying, and it it makes you feel like a number. No, I actually had... I was just sitting there, and then suddenly this nurse, this this male nurse comes up to me, crouches down next to me, and touches my leg and says, Miss Millie? And I was like... Oh, damn. What? And he's like, okay, it's time for you. And I was like... Whoa, that has literally never happened to me before. The the care starts now. Yes. <laughs> we are not going to scream your name from like another section of the waiting room. We're going to come over to you and touch your leg as if you're a child waiting to see Santa or something. You know, it's just like, it was like this moment of like, oh my God, like this is like amazing. And it immediately put me at ease. That's the whole thing. It immediately kind of relaxed me that somebody right. came over and just like crouched down next to me and said my name. It didn't even say my last name, said my first name. And I was like, oh my God, I love this already. You know? So then I go in there, you know, we go over everything, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, he leaves, nurse leaves. And then the doctor comes in. And the doctor is like, I mean, he had a mask on. But from what I saw, but you know, uh, uh, upstairs and downstairs, he looked just like Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> and I was like, like, okay, so I got this like Beto O'Rourke guy. He's in got here. Beto Beto Davis eyes. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I can see those eyes. I know what I'm working with here. And he'll tease you. Exactly. <laughs> um so, so you know, I was like, because I didn't even know who to really expect, like, age-wise. He's definitely younger than me. Like, that's the one thing that really fucked me up. I was, I was like, oh, shit, doctors are younger than me now. That's okay. going to start happening forever now. Yeah, exactly. But when he came in, he was very, like, he just glides across the room. <laughs> He's very, like, soft-spoken. He's got, like, this kind of, like, way of like he just has this communication style that's very um calm app it's very like right killian murphy's calm app sleep story vibe like he's just mm-hmm. very relaxed and he's and like he just sat there and like we just had a conversation like we were we were talking like he was asking me what i did and asking me like you know all about myself and what my you know where was i in la and blah 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 and it was like, he had all the fucking time in the world, man. And I was like, wow, this is so amazing. Like, he just, like, really didn't rush me. Didn't, yeah. like, start yelling at me about stuff. Like, he was looking at my 
you know, I sent over my records from L.A. and he was looking at all over, asking me so many questions. And they were all just very like, it was such a nice chat. At one point, I told him that I had just come back from Europe, right? Right. And, you know, he was like, oh, what was that like? Where did you go? And I told him that I went to Bruges because I, you know, went to Bruges on my trip. And he was like, oh, are you talking about like the movie in Bruges? It's so funny. Like, that movie is so funny. He could not have crafted a better sentence for you specifically. Oh, my God. I was like, this is so sad, but, like, why does my heart flutter when people like the same movies that I like? Like, Strangers in the World? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I should be over that by now? Like, I should be like, oh, a stranger likes a movie that I like? Like, I'm not completely in love with him, and I'm not going to pin all my hopes and dreams on that person. But no. He mentions the fact... He, he mentions that he loves the movie In Bruges, and I'm like, oh, God, I got to marry this person. Ugh. Even though he has, like, the fattest wedding ring on his finger. <laughs> He's like, more like a real Housewives diamond. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the <laughs> ring is so, so present, there was no mistaking it. And I was like... He's married, you know, like, but he likes the movie that I like, and he kind of looks like Beto O'Rourke, and he's super nice and gentle. Like, he puts me on the fucking seat, right? You know, like the prop-up seat or whatever to, like, check. Yeah. He, he pulls out the stethoscope, and he's, like, asking me to breathe in and breathe out. I swear to God, he, like, that touch of the stethoscope was, like, the most gentle. It was like, <laughs> just like a, it was like a little butterfly kiss on my on my back and i was like this guy's got it he's got the touch he's got the power i don't know what to say about him but i'm like i'm totally in love with him like i'm like well i don't know what happened in this 35 minutes but now i'm in love with my doctor oh you you left that office and sent me not one but two voice memos About this man. A voice memo, which means you know that shit is serious. I know it's serious when I get voice memos from Millie. Supers and two, two of them back to back popped up. And I was like, <laughs> all right, send me a link. I need to see this man. And she sent me the link to like his doctor page. <laughs> and I was like, well, you look at this jock ass nerd. Of course you're in love with him. He looks like he fucking plays lacrosse on the weekends for fun. <laughs> Yo. Like still in still in his thirties, he's playing lacrosse with his college friends. I'm not gonna lie, dude. At one point, he said he used to play baseball for his high school, and I shit myself. Like I was, That's in, all you need. I was on the bed, on the elevated bed, covered in my own filth. You're like, oh, do you need a stool sample? Because I have one for you. <laughs> exactly. Here's a stool sample. You could not have crafted a better fucking dude. For you. It's so embarrassing. And then, a, of course, a former baseball player who l- looks like Beto O'Rourke and likes the movie In Bruges. Like, was he crafted in a fucking lab? I, you know, it is so funny. I don't even think Beto O'Rourke is hot. Like, that's the thing. I don't think he's hot. But you're in that scenario where you're like, oh, I'm in this place where for a doctor, if yes. Beto O'Rourke was a doctor, he'd and probably beefy. be hot. Maybe. He's a beefier Beto. He's yeah, a beefier oh, Beto. Be- much beefier, I will say. And I didn't see underneath the mask. I mean, the only thing we're going on really is the profile online, which I sent to you like a creep. That is so creepy. Why did I, I do that? I asked for it. 
I asked for it like a creep. I was like, let me see this dude. <laughs> let me know what I'm working with. <laughs> God. And then, of course, I totally had to call Eddie and be like, listen, you were right. Like, I am in love with him and we're just going to have to be his sister wives because I'm not letting this go. Like, no fucking way. Now, are you now in the Eddie position where you will not recommend him to people because you do not want him, someone else to fall in love with him? Um, I might be. No, no not going <laughs> to lie. Do you, do you have a follow-up appointment? I do, actually. I, I actually do. So, and then there's like a moment where I'm like, do I need a new outfit for this follow-up appointment? Should I go? <laughs> should I go get ah! gussied up? <laughs> this is sick. This is sick, sick, sick. So He's going to be like, ma'am, I can't actually do what I need to do here because you're wearing <laughs> too many contraptions. Like, I didn't ask you to come in a bustier and a fucking, like, full face of makeup, and now I can't check your vitals. I'm going to tell you this right now. This is going to be... I, I'm, I'm, like, afraid to say this. I'm just afraid to even say it, but I got to tell you because I can. He did say that the office offers PAPS and other gynecological services, and I was like... Don't tell me that. Oh, you, you're about to break up that marriage. No, I'm not. That is a fucking flex. No. To be like, P.S., we can also check your vagina. And he, no, he said it in the most, you know, absolutely professional way. But oh, my sure he did. broken brain was like, I can't. I, uh, 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 you know, I was I'm, like. I'm sure he was very professional. And yes. I'm sure he knew exactly what he was doing. And was like, I'm going to get you. Oh, and you're I, like, oh, I, I'm going to get you. Listen, I, I can't even imagine a world where I would go there to get any. Like, I'm like, don't, please don't look underneath here. No. <laughs> don't look under the hood. Just focus yeah. up here. <laughs> focus up top. Focus up top. Just put that stethoscope on, on my back. Oh but, good. Uh, listen, so that's my situation. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pickle. I gotta stop being in love with my new doctor. And you know, that's it. But I honestly I have heard that you have new doctors too, which is weird oh, yeah. that we're both finding new doctors at the same time. Absolutely. And we were already having a week because once you mentioned your crush on this jock ass nerd, <sighs> I was like, I also am having a weird crush moment. And I hate, I regret to inform the world, but Steve Buscemi is officially hot now. <laughs> and I sent Millie, I'm like, look, there was this GQ, GQ profile two years ago, and the pictures were astounding. He looks so cute. And then recently, within the last year, he became a model for Kith. And he looks like an Italian grandpa. Like, I'm so into it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm having a weird crush, too. Okay. Kith is also... They were the ones that actually put Jerry Seinfeld in some model yes. clothes, too. So what are they doing? Are they trying to be like, hey, take these, like, middle-aged men and make and make them hot for us? Like, what is happening? No, I don't think Jerry Seinfeld's hot. I'm just going to throw that out there. Sorry. He's not. But I'm just not saying, type. like, I think that they're trying to do this on purpose. Like, they're trying to make these Absolutely. men... Someone made the decision in some office and they're like, you know what we need to do is go for the middle-aged man and put him in a floral pant. And we'll make it work. Dude, it worked say, on you, is what you're it saying. It worked on me. It did not work on me for Jerry Seinfeld, but Steve Buscemi is officially fucking hot. And I know friends who live near him in Park Slope. And I was like, drop a word. And my friend's like, I will not drop a word. 
will not. <laughs> and I'm like, see, married people do not have your fucking single friends' backs ever. Is he single? Wait, what is yes. his status? His wife died. Oh, God, this is so awful. His wife died. His wife, Joe Andres, died um, like four years ago. She had oh, cancer. God. Oh, God. Yeah, pretty awful. And they were together for like 30 years. And like, oh, and she was so talented and cool. And But yeah, they live in Park Slope. They have a kid. And um, I don't know if he's still single, but he was widowed as of four years ago. And wow. I have friends that live near him. And I'm like, why don't you hook a bitch up? And they're like, no. And I'm like, see, this is why I can't fuck with y'all anymore. <laughs> Make the connect. Just, What's like, going when on? When you're standing in line at the fucking co-op, just be like, hey, are you still single? I got a friend. Like, you do not know me, but we're cool. I'm your neighbor. I got a friend who's like, awesome. Well, I won't do I, it. I think what you should do is just go stand out in front of his place and just wait. See, this is you being under the influence of this new doctor. You're like, what you should do is go full creep. <laughs> just make another appointment. Keep making appointments with that man until he levels up <laughs> and dates you. <laughs> so I was, I was definitely already in weird crush mode. Yeah. And look, if any of you are willing to put the word out to Steve Buscemi that I think he's cute, you go for it. Because my friends will not. I'm looking for new friends and <laughs> someone to hook me up with Steve Buscemi. But I also had a doctor moment. So we were having a very tandem week. Yes. Like we were very in sync last week. Yeah. So I'm in the same position where I've been here for a year and a half. I lasted my my last doctor's appointment in LA before, you know, when I still live there, was also considering like maybe I should go back to LA and just go to my doctor's and just, you know, I have a meeting in March. I should just like, you know, schedule all this doctor shit anyway. Um, Cause I'll probably be in LA. And then I'm like, Danielle, get your shit together. Like just get a doctor here. And yeah. I never have had a doctor here because I left when I was 17. Yeah. And when I left here, my primary doctor was my pediatrician. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> like, I saw my pediatrician until I was, like, 17 years old. Yeah. And he's dead now. So, rest in peace, Dr. Kanya. But... Rest in peace, King. <laughs> rest in peace, King. Rest in peace, King. They named a plaza after him. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. He was, like, the fucking pediatrician for the town. Damn. And everyone loved him. That's power. Um, but I never had a doctor here. So, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do what I did the last time I lived in New York City. I'm hopping on ZocDoc. And I'm going to start looking because I asked a couple of friends, like, hey, I need a new gyno, a new primary physician. Um, I've already got a dentist. And just like, who who do you see? You've been living here for a few years. Who do you see? Yeah. And my one friend was like, well, I do have a doctor, but she's closing her practice. And I was like, fuck. So I hopped on ZocDoc, picked out this great doctor. I'm like, all right, it's the top of the year. I've got my Uber list going. I like to knock out my medical appointments right away. And I picked this doctor, and she was this black woman, and actually an African woman, Nigerian. Um, and I'm like, that's that's my motherfucker right there. So wow. I go to the office, and it was a really nice experience. They're still doing COVID protocols, so they had to like, I had to sit in my car and wait for a password. They're like, wow. we'll call you with a password, and I was like, all right. And then I get to the building, and I'm like, hat. <laughs> They're like, do you have a password? I'm like, yeah. Is it hat? And she's like, all right, come on in. And I was like, fuck. So wow. I go in. And just like you described, name shouted across the fucking plains. And <laughs> I go, but it was nice. Like everyone was really friendly and like they were ready for me. There yeah. was no like, what's your insurance? What's like they were fucking ready for me. So I go in and I meet, then, you know, I'm sitting there. I do the, the 
vitals, the primary check-in, and get undressed, sit on the thing. And I'm waiting for the gynecologist to come in. She comes in. She's rad. She's very gentle. She has a very good bedside manner, like instantly. Just like very calming and like, do you have any questions for me? Here are some questions I have for you. You know, you're 45. Is there anything you want to focus on? Is there any of this? And she actually asked me, she's like, what kind of birth control do you use? And I was like, well, I haven't dated in like a decade. And she's like, oh, so abstinence? I'm like, yes, that is the word for it, abstinence. I forgot the word abstinence. I'm like, my birth control is I don't see dicks. And so (laughs) she was like, I have shut down the works. And so she's like, okay. And then I lay back and she does the exam. You know how the exam goes, but you know, I kept my socks on so I didn't have to deal with the cold stirrups. She warmed up the speculum. Yeah, love that. Which is a new thing. That's a new thing and I love it. Um, And then she... You know, if you haven't had a gynecological exam, it involves some insertion of fingers. So she has their fingers in me, and then she's pressing on my stomach. And she's like, relax your stomach, relax. And I'm like, oh, did you not hear the part where I told you I haven't been touched in 10 years? (laughs) Like, I can't (laughs) relax. This is a very weird and new experience for me. And so I finally relax, and she's like, okay, that's great. And and she has this like kind of like a soft whisper voice. So she was like, okay, just relax. And and also they had to call, they called someone else in to stand there like while she was doing the exam. Like a, I had like a babysitter. Oh. Because I guess like, I don't know if people complain about like, I've been hurt in this exam or I've been harmed or they did something weird. And I'm like, all right. So she had like a guard, like a wow. security guard there. Yo, they got but it was just another nurse. they got guards. I yeah. Mean, this is I'm some like, high right. security shit. This is exactly how my vagina should be treated with some fucking respect. <laughs> and so the nurse is just standing there kind of looking away. And this you know, doctor's like face between my legs, fingers in me. And then she gave me the fucking shocker. She goes, do you mind if I do a rectal exam? Like real quiet. Like, do you mind, do you mind if I do a rectal exam? And what? I just said yes. Because I'm like, I don't know what, what she just said. I said yes. Finger in the asshole. All of a sudden, I'm getting the goddamn shocker. What? And I'm like, what in the Dane Cook hell is this? This is new. This is some new middle-aged information. Because after she gave me the fucking shocker, and she had all of her fingers in all of my holes, (laughs) she was like, well, you know, we start checking around this age for, like, colon issues. And, you know, you might want to get a colonoscopy by the time you turn 50 and start doing that regularly. And I was like... I'm still stunned, bitch. You got to calm down. Slow this roll of this information. You just put your finger in my butt hole. Also, (laughs) and it was like quick. Like she slipped it in, slipped it out. And I'm like, apparently I've given some rectal exams in my life and didn't even know it. Wow. I don't know what kind of information she was getting from that quick (laughs) insertion. Wow. But she could have carried me around like a fucking handbag. She was just all in me suddenly. And I was like, what is happening? This has never happened to me in a gynecological exam before. It's like she was about to bowl for a turkey. In Completely. That <laughs> okay. I need to ask just because I, I have follow-up appointments scheduled for my yeah. own doctors. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do they really include a BH poke now yeah. as part of a of a like a gyno thing? You are middle fucking aged, and they start telling women now, I guess, according to her, 
they start telling women, you got to check that colon starting around age 40. 40 oh, and up. I, I've heard that colonoscopies now start at 45. Like, yeah. it used to be 50, but now some people are saying that it should be 45 now or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you're middle-aged and you haven't been to the gyno in a while, get ready for the fucking shocker. It's coming what? for you. What? Two in the fucking pink. Like, I was like, what is <laughs> happening? Wow, dude. She had I... everything in me. She was pressing on my stomach, and I'm like, I, I don't love this. Yeah. It was quick, but I didn't love it. I didn't hear her. She's like, can I can I give you, can I put do a rectal exam? And I was like, Yeah. Thinking she was just going to, like, use her eyeballs and look at my butthole. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got some bleaching going on back here. Like, what's yeah. going on back here? And I'm like, fuck, your funeral, bitch. Like, do what you got to do if you want to just look at my butthole. No. Hand, finger in. Wow. That, mm, mm, that is interesting. I mean, I know that, like, you know, men have to do that a lot, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that part of their kind of normal exam? Yep. Well, I, I've never had that happen. So Me either. So I'm thinking this is a new trend for gyno things. Things done changed in COVID. Wow, dude. Is what I have discovered. So wow. yeah, that was an experience. And again, she was very nice, great bedside manner, explained everything after, explained everything before. I was just like tense already. Yes. And so when she asked, I was just like, yeah, sure. And then what I should have said is, what does that entail? Is it going to be eyeballs on butthole or finger in butthole? Both would have made me uncomfortable for different reasons. I don't look at my own butthole, so I don't know what you're going to find back there. <laughs> and then I was like, is everything fine? Like, I, how do you ask about your butthole? Well, and see, now you understand why going to the doctor makes people so fucking nervous. Is like yes. all this stuff, like all of the things that they add. All, all of the little add-ons that happen now are, it's, it's just... It's these, very, it's very... These in-app purchases <laughs> <laughs> of your body. Well, I, I'm, okay, so bottom line, bottom line, I am not going to this guy for any of that stuff. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to find a brand new person, like, I, I, I just gotta find somebody. You know what? I gotta tell you, the best gano I ever had was in LA. She was this extremely extremely funny, great personality, older Jewish woman. It was mm-hmm. fucking fantastic. I think I talked about her on the podcast before. Yeah. Like, she kind of had this, like, borscht belt humor, and she was, yep. like, such a such a fucking gem. She made me feel completely, completely at ease, and she was just cracking jokes. So I need that kind of doctor. I need, like, a cracking jokes BH doctor. Like, I don't exactly. want to, like, I don't need anybody that's going to be serious or, like, Anything. I need I need it to no. be laughs. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. my doctor was very serious and very gentle and again very kind. I'm glad I have her. I'm glad I have a new setup. But yeah, you I say you do go to LA for your gyno appointments. Because <laughs> you do not need this man that you have a crush on giving you the fucking shocker. I mean, I would actually die. I would just die. <laughs> Be like, well, well, she's not your patient anymore because she died. Because she was so embarrassed. <laughs> she flatlined. She flatlined as soon as you saw her butthole. She died. She passed away. <laughs> and it's uh, such a shame because you were in love with her, weren't you? 
You were going to ask her to be your your wife, your and second now she's, wife. <laughs> now she's just part of some long term medical examination, like some long term <laughs> medical report. Why did this patient die when I touched her BH, her butthole? Why did she die? Yeah, it's been a week. It's been a week, and I have you know I have another appointment for my primary care physician, and I'm like, well, sky's the limit now that I'm middle aged. Yeah, they'll be like. How about we biopsy everything? How about we fucking scrub some freckles off and check that shit? Like, they're just, they treat the middle-aged body like it's a a car that needs to be completely refurbished. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's wild. Well, here's to getting older. It's, it's a fucking gas. Three cheers to doctors. On that note. I'm psyched about this week. This is something new for both of us. I think so too, and I feel like you you were the architect of this, and it's genius. So I want you to to tell the people what the theme is, and then kind of explain what it is. So our theme this week is just press play, and the reason that I thought of this theme is that I wanted Millie to watch my movie when I realized that she'd never watched it before, and I was shocked but not surprised because you know it was released in 2014. Um, <laughs> But I was like, oh my God, I feel like I really want you to watch this. Just not Whether you like it or not, I want you to watch it because it's one of my favorite movies and I want your opinion on it. Mm. But then I thought, there's so many movies that you bring, not only to the pod, but to our friendship, where I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that. I want to watch that. I want to know what Millie would present to me as something that I've never seen before. And I came up with the guidelines. There were guidelines for the first time ever wow. for this pod, yeah. where I said, do not read anything about it. Do mm-hmm. not look up any information about it. Just press play. Yep. And that's exactly what I did. <gasps> yep. Trust Ooh, I me. Can't. As, a, as, as a woman who is compelled to do so much fucking research in every area of her life, like I need mm-hmm. to look up everything all the time, I had to curb my impulse to not look anything up. Because oh, I, I was know. like, I... For some reason, I think I was getting this movie confused with Bernie. Do you remember that? Oh, that yeah. Jack Black movie? So mm-hmm. I was like, I wonder if it's that movie, but I don't want to, I don't want to go any further. I'm just going to like press play just as she instructed me to do. So, oh, I'm, and, and how did that go for you? Um, <laughs> so actually, I, I was very enchanted by your film and, Ooh. and, once about 10 minutes was left of the film, I immediately remembered it. <laughs> like, ah! I was like, <laughs> I watched all but like the last 10 minutes and then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I think I remember when this movie came out. And then, of course, after it was over, I was like, I went to Wikipedia. I was like, oh, of course. Because it was written by somebody that I'm a big fan of. And I'm like, I can't even believe I forgot that this happened. But at the time that I watched it, when I pressed play, I truly had no fucking idea what I was about to watch. Same with your movie. Same. I could Ah. not wait. Could not wait. And part of the reason I wanted you to just press play on my film, were you surprised by the actor that plays the title role when it's finally revealed? Uh, Yes. A hundred and... 79% 79% shock. Because that is part of the charm of that movie for me. Yeah. <laughs> I I was, I, anyway, we can talk about it because I know you're going first, but I was yeah. like, this is so bizarre. I can't even describe it. Like, I'm like, wow. 
Well, that is also something, something that another layer that revealed itself to me as I was watching the double feature this week is I feel like we each kind of picked movies that showcased what the insides of our brains look like. <laughs> like each of our films is so specific to each of us in terms of like what we like and what we are like that yes. it was really revelatory in the best possible way. I'm like, oh, this is us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I gotta say, that is actually, that crossed my mind. When I was watching your film, I was like, oh, yeah. This is a, this is a Danielle thing, like, for sure. Well, we are just gonna jump right the fuck in, because I can't wait to talk about it. This is one of my top five movies. Wow! Uh, wait, wait. Top five of all time? Yeah, of all time. Wow! I think it's shit. deeply, deeply underrated. It brings out Several Emotions in Me. It was released in 2014. The screenplay is by John Ronson and Peter Strawn. And it was directed by Lenny Abramson. And my movie is Frank. I say tell everyone everything. Why cover anything up? Right? So to me, this is like a modern day Harold and Maude in terms of teenagers should watch this. Like people who feel out of place in the world should watch this movie. For several reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but right off the bat, I'll say that Lenny, Lenny Abramson directed um, Room, which is like this Oscar-winning film starring Brie Larson. And Peter Strawn wrote the screenplay for Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy. And he's worked with John Ronson before because he also wrote the, sc- the screenplay for Men Who Stare at Goats. And John Ronson, who wrote this, he wrote, the, he wrote a book and an article in The Guardian based on his time with a musician, and this movie is based on that true story. Yeah. And John Ronson is great. If you don't know who he is, he's, again, a fantastic journalist and writer. Um, He wrote, if you haven't read So You've Been Publicly Shamed, please read it. The Psychopath Test. Like, he's just a really interesting journalist and writer. Um, And I like the things that he thinks about and the path that it leads him down. Um, So to kind of get this aspect of his early life was also very interesting to me. Yeah, I like I'm a huge fan of him. Like I have read pretty much all of his books and I think he's really funny. Like and I don't know if he's still on Twitter. He might have gotten off Twitter after he wrote that public shaming book. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I used to follow him on Twitter, which is so funny because I feel like I don't know, I just felt like now that I've seen your movie, I kind of remember when he was talking about this band or something. Right. Um but I remember once like when he was on Twitter uh, I I very rarely reply to famous people that don't yeah. follow me because I'm like, why would I do that? But for some reason, I couldn't help myself. He said something and I replied. And then he replied to me and I was like, oh my God, John Ronson re- <laughs> like replied to me on Twitter and it made my like entire week. And uh, But then there's no well, evidence of him. it now because he's not on Twitter. So Exactly, because wow. Twitter's going down the goddamn crapper. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's fantastic. And I just, I was really excited that's kind of what brought me to this film is that I really liked him as a writer. And I thought, oh, well, if John Ronson is involved in any way and it's about his life, I'm definitely seeing this. Yeah. And just to give a quick one sentence synopsis, a keyboard player of questionable talent joins an avant-garde band with an enigmatic leader and embarks on the adventure of his life. Wow. Okay, so... This cast of this film is incredible. And I am 
not going to tell you who plays the title role of Frank, because if you haven't seen this film, I also want that to be a surprise for you. Mm. Um, but Domhnall Gleeson plays John. Uh, in, in the movie, he's John Burroughs, but he's playing the John Ronson character. Um, you have Maggie Gyllenhaal, who plays Clara, one of the band members. Francois Seville plays Barack, who's one of the band members. Uh, and Carla Azar plays Nana, who does drums. And this band is wild. So... Clara is a theremin player. She's kind of Frank's caretaker. She hates John on site with a fervent passion. And this might be one of my favorite Maggie Gyllenhaal roles. Yeah, she's got, you know, I was trying to like, I, I mean, honestly, their band is indescribable. Yeah. <laughs> um, they kind of look like Lady Tron. Do you remember that band <laughs> Lady Tron? <laughs> Yes. Where, like, the two girls are super cute and hot, and then there's a guy that has, like, big hair and is probably from France. But, like, that, she has that look. Like, I like I love that, like, she had that kind of short bob, and yep. she had kind of, like, a gothy look to her. And I was like, ooh, girl, yes, this is a good look for you. And that paired with her attitude in the film just yes. makes me laugh so hard. Yeah. And then you've got, again, Nana is kind of this very solemn drummer. I don't even think she speaks a single word of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's very solemn. And the French guitarist, Barack, just, like, only speaks in French and also hates, like, everyone hates John. And the reason <laughs> is that John, again, has questionable talent. So he's, when we meet him in the film, he's trying to write a song, but his life is pretty boring, and he's not terribly creative. Like, he has an office job, and he's he's someone who kind of more idolizes musical fame than he does musical talent. And he's the kind of guy who like tweets about his lunch. So we meet yes. him as he's trying to write a song and he's by the beach one day. This is all taking place in the UK. And he's by the beach one day and he sees a man trying to drown himself in the sea. And it just so happens that this man is a keyboardist for a band that Scoop McNary is managing <laughs> with an unpronounceable name that I think is Sauron Furbis. <laughs> But completely unpronounceable name. And Scoot McNary, again, incredibly underrated actor. And I think this is one of his best roles. <laughs> Dude, he cracked me up. Like, just like his weird little isms. Like, there's a scene where... <laughs> and this is actually cracking me up. I love what... You know, there's like this kind of like running... Um, John is writing to his followers or something like that and and he, there's like so there's this narration and then there's a, a scene where he's doing that and then scoot mcnary comes out of the woods and interrupts the monologue and says like i just took a shit and i had to rewind it like five times because i was laughing so hard and i don't really know why it was <laughs> it cracked me up i think it was just because you were listening to like some narration and then the movie just like kind of breaks that fourth wall type of thing and this guy just saying I, I just took a shit dude it was so funny he's so funny in this movie he's so funny in this movie and that's i think it's part of the thing that i love about the movie as a whole is that everyone in it is playing kind of against type from what we've seen from them up to that point. Yeah. And it really just made me realize, like, on the heels of watching um, Scoot McNary in um, Halt and Catch Fire, like this, which is, if you haven't watched, great TV show. Yeah, um, and then watching him in this, I'm like, oh my God, he's really funny. He's really funny. And so he's playing this band manager and they're all watching this guy from the van, from the band van, trying to, like, drown himself in the sea. And it turns out that he's the keyboardist. 
And they pull him out of the sea. The cops pull him out of the sea. And and Don, the Scoot McNary character, the manager, is like, uh, that was our keyboardist. And John, just on a whim, says, like, well, I play keyboards. And he's like, great, come to this fucking venue tonight. You're going to play keyboards for this gig. And he does. He shows up. And he's pushed on stage without knowing any of the songs. And then Frank comes out. And Frank is a man in a wetsuit with a giant paper mache head. And he plugs his mic into the jack. And then just the whole band and Frank kind of freestyles this song. And John joins in and is having such a blast. And then the movie starts. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, I was like, as a person who had like literally no idea what was gonna happen, I was like, okay. I think I remember the paper mache head scenario. Like, it was all coming back to me at that point. I was like, oh, I feel like I remember there was a movie about this giant head, but I don't know right. why. And I didn't, I definitely didn't realize it was about a band. So all yeah. of that stuff was like happening at the same time. And I'm like, Okay, I really don't... This is not Bernie. Let's just say that. Right. This is yeah. not Bernie. This is not Shirley MacLaine and Jack Black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're thrust into this life with this band, and John kind of goes back to his life after this gig, and then Don calls him, and he's like, all right, so that keyboard player who tried to drown himself, he's actually been sanctioned, so can you come join us in Ireland? And John's like, great. He thinks he's going to another gig, and... They hop on this ferry, he gets in the van, like, they hop on this ferry. And on the ferry over to Ireland, he's asking Don all of these questions about Frank's Frank and Frank's head. And he gets a few answers, which are, yes, he wears it all the time. He even wears it when he eats, and he eats, uh, like, a supplement called Grow Nut through Ugh. a straw. And then, he like, John keeps peppering him with all these questions, and Don is finally like, you just have to go with it. Like, we all love Frank. We all want to be Frank. Just go with it. And so when you get to Ireland, the movie kind of changes into this really interesting study of a band locking themselves in a house to record an album and kind of falling apart, like ripping themselves apart and coming together for the sake of this music they're trying to create. So John has no idea that he's actually been kind of kidnapped and co-opted into staying in Ireland for a long time. He thought he was just staying for the weekend. But he doesn't realize until Don starts assigning rooms that, like, they're going to be there for a while. <laughs> and this is also where you learn and kind of find out the central conflict of the film, which is that this is a group of artists who are centered around individual creative expression coming together to make something. But John is trying to really tightly control them. So, like you said, he's the narrator of the film, he's keeping a journal, he's posting videos online, he's more enamored of the process of being an artist, whereas they are people who are like, we are in the furthest corners of the world and the furthest corners of our mind, and we are just trying to do whatever weird shit we can. They're, like, designing their own instruments and sounds and, like, running around the woods and, like... He's upset. John is obsessed with making the band great, and they're just obsessed with making the music that they want to make. Oh, I knew this shit was going to be a bad match from minute one. Ah, I was ah. like, here you got this, like, redhead. I mean, he he kind of, like, it's like, oh, I'm in the shins. He's kind of got that mm -hmm. vibe to him, where he makes, like, fun, kind of buoyant music, and it's, you know, very cute 
and observational. And then he is basically joining like Einster Zende Neubotten. Like he's like, I'm going to be this like indie pop guy joining this like fucking noise band. It, all in black. Everybody smokes cigarettes. I'm like, there's Completely. no way this is going to work out at all. Completely. And it is like, and it does. Like there are so many funny moments that happen <laughs> while they're in the woods. <laughs> and I don't want to ruin any of them or like give it away, but it's just so fucking fun. And he is like shrugs to funk. He is truly struggling with like, how do I fit in here? And there's yes. a point where you realize they've been there for 11 months and he is like, oh, not well. Months. He is not well. <laughs> <laughs> but they're all together in the mix and they're making music. And then after tragedy strikes, the band is kind of forced to make a decision. And John reveals that he's been posting these videos of them online. And as a result, they have a chance uh, to play at South by Southwest. So, just taking it back a little bit, this is a true story. It's a true story of the Frank Sidebottom band. And it's the, tr- the man who played the character of Frank in real life was named Chris Seavey. So, when John Ronson joined the band, it was the old blimey big band. Um, you know, Frank Sidebottom had quite a career uh, for a, a long time. He started playing in the late 70s, early 80s, and was always just kind of this figure, and again, very avant-garde, very enigmatic figure um, in the music scene. And in real life, John Ronson, and this is from his article in The Guardian, John Ronson did play with them for one gig, and then he didn't hear from them for a year. But when the manager actually called, he was like, yeah, that was the best night of my life. And he quit college to join them. Wow. And one thing he says in this article, which I really love, is he, he, he quotes George Bernard Shaw. And he says, the, and the quote is that the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. Unreason- the unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. And that's how he conceptualized Frank Sidebottom. And people often talked about Chris Seavey as if he was two people in one body. Like, Frank was a personality, Chris was a personality. Um, And Chris Seavey was married. You know, he had a house. He was married to a woman named Paula Seavey. Um, He had a television show, Frank Sidebottom's Proper Telly Show from 2006-2007, which I think was really ahead of, like, the Eric Andre style of talk Uh show. Like, he really broke the mold in several several ways. So, after John Ronson left the band, he, he, again, in this article, it's very funny. He says he never—he was never really fired. It's like Frank kind of moved to doing a, a solo act with a keyboardist, and then he did a solo act by himself, and then he just disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's like, I wasn't really fired, but I, he just, like, didn't talk to me. But he caught up with him 10 years later— and by the time he caught up with, with Chris Seavey, um, Chris was divorced from Paula, and he was working in animation on the children's show Pingu. Oh, I and love Pingu. What? Chris Seavey was an animator on that show. Wow. And he'd, like, completely pivoted his life. And John was like, you look kind of thin, but, like, we'll get together and maybe we'll make some music. And neither John nor Chris knew it at the time, but Chris had throat cancer. And he died in 2010 at 54 years old. Mm. Uh, He left behind a daughter and two sons. And he died penniless. He was facing a pauper's funeral uh, until John Ronson did like an online fundraiser and raised enough money to give him like a proper funeral service and burial. And then there's this village, Timberlay Village, 
um, that Frank often talked about. And they raised funds for a memorial statue, which was placed in 2013. There's a great documentary called Being Frank, the Chris Seavey story. And I kind of, it's important to me to, to talk about the real person behind this film. Because as, as entertaining and emotional as this movie is, I think it's also really poignant that you're talking about a real artist and someone who really did live his life kind of on the fringes and made decisions just because he thought they'd be funny or great or interesting. Mm-hmm. And we don't see a lot of that anymore. Everything's really penned in. Like our, the art and the the things that we see nowadays are so curated. And it's interesting to go back to a time where you think someone could just make a paper mache head that they made for a costume party and then just turned it into a character and turned it into art. Um, so, and I think Chris Seavey, again, like he, he kind of, he kind of wrote his life till the wheels came off and, you know, he, he died in a way that, you know, he wasn't really known or people hadn't thought of him in a while by the time he had, he had passed away. Um, but he had a family and he had kids and the sex wife and people who really loved him and he had friends and he just was a very interesting and, and, and cool and enigmatic artist that I don't think enough people know about. Um, so I, I always cry at the end of this movie for a couple of different reasons. But when you realize who who's playing Frank, and then there's this very emotional scene with who's with Frank and the band, and it just brings all this stuff to mind for me. Like, it's it's a story of, of art and connection, you know, of love and fear and, like, of the usefulness or the confinement of social boundaries. And it's about mental illness and mental health and how different that looks for so many of us. And it's just really an overwhelming and emotional and lovely movie. Well, that's interesting, because I didn't know any of that (laughs) when I watched it. I just pressed play, as you instructed me to do. (laughs) So So that's good. (laughs) You know, that's good that there is all that context, because honestly, I didn't know any of that. Like, Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, you know... To me, the movie feels very whimsical. Like it's a like, and that's kind of why I meant like I was enchanted by it. Like I was like, yeah, it's it's fun at most of it. You know, it's very like you're kind of like in this position. You're in the John position of sort of being on a ride with him with this band, and mm-hmm. they're everybody's just like very strange, and he's kind of like a fish out of water with them. And, you know, and there's a, like, a lot of, like, I said, like, funny moments where, like, random things will happen. I gotta admit, anytime Frank, the the character, like, bumps into something, or, like, you know, like, because of the head, right? This big head that he just walks around with. Like, there's a part where he kind of comes out of their little cabin and he, like... Hits himself on the on one of the beams, and I was like laughing because I just love that slapstick shit. Like I'm sorry, exactly. like any any time there's like uh, somebody in a costume that falls or knocks into something, it it cracks me up. And also it's the absurdity of this. Like he lives with this head uh, all day long, and in real life, he often did that as well. Like he didn't wow. leave it on for like years at a time, but he would yeah. leave the head on. Yeah. For like prolonged amounts of time. Wow. And he apparently had a um, like a swimmer's clip that he put on his nose when he wore the head. And it kind of deformed his nose because the more he wore the head, the more he had the clip on. What? Yeah. Wow. That is... <laughs> so, Commitment like, to the bun. bit at all costs. 
The commitment is unreal. So seeing someone like bump around in a head is funny because you're like, he doesn't have to be doing this. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, God, commitment to the bit. That might be a accidental connection point between our two movies. But I, yeah. I, I will say like, but it's interesting because, yeah, knowing now what you've just said about the real life story and the real life person behind it. Yeah. It kind of changes it for me to be honest, because I'm just like, okay. Like I kind of saw it as a very, like, again, like kind of whimsical, fun, like effervescent type of movie, but you know, it's, it, it's all, it's really emotional for you. And I, now yeah. I know that because at the time I was like, this is just a weird movie. Right. Like that's why I do research, man. Like I want to know this stuff, you know, <laughs> It's great. Well, now that I've upended your process, <laughs> did you like the movie when you watched it? Were you like, this is just weird? Danielle is a fucking weird. Like, what did you think when you were watching it without this background info? No, I mean, I, like I said, I, I wasn't sure where I was going. I was like, oh my God, this is a, this is a ride. There were times where I was like, this is the worst music I've ever heard. But then there were times when I was like, actually, this is kind of a jam. I don't know. I was like going back and forth between it. I say the the very last bit where um where the, there's like a performance towards the end of the film was very like magnetic fields adjacent to and mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is like a magnetic field song. This is pretty great. And I kind of loved that whole um iteration of the band. It was kind of like yeah. a sad cowboy music you know like the evolution of this band which is un- unpronounceable i'm not even going to pronounce it um <laughs> and they changed the name to something even more unpronounceable halfway yeah. through the movie. but when they first get on stage like when you are first introduced to the band like when his first gig i was like wow like i hope that they uh sharpen up by the end of this movie cuz this music is pretty bad <laughs> I love it. I listen to the soundtrack all the time. Wow. (laughs) Like, it is just... And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a lot of people I've known, like, in the 90s, like, late 80s, early 90s, but particularly the 90s, who were just trying shit out. Yeah. And it was before there was the the specter of fame around every corner. Mm -hmm. And they were just trying shit out and were just kind of being free and weird. And I love it. I love it. Yeah, they um that whole sequence that happens when they f- go to South by Southwest is great. And there's yeah. that there's a there's a part of this movie too that I really appreciate which is that it's kind of like the band life. Like it's like yes. here's what happens when you're in a creative collaboration with other people and you're on the road. Like when they take the when those two girls take the band out to the pancake house, I was like how many of these breakfasts have I been to with bands like touring bands in my youth, you know. <laughs> exactly. And the idea of everybody having to like live together to record an album and stuff. I mean, like that, that was fascinating to me and it felt very like true to life in a way. Completely. Um, but also like, okay, Dom, you're going to have to forgive me because honestly, you're the, you're the Anglophile. You, you very much into, you know, people from the UK. I was like, who is this guy playing John? I didn't know mm-hmm. who he was. Ooh. At all. And then I looked him up and I was like, okay, Dom Hall Gleason. Like, I've heard of the name. Mm-hmm. I feel like people are horny for him. Is that people true? People are horny for him. Absolutely. Okay, tell me why. 
And, <laughs> like, what, well, what's going on? What is that? Who is this person? Was he in something that I didn't watch, like a Star Trek or something? Like, I need Yeah. He was uh, in a Star Wars. Okay, okay. Um, but he also was in an episode of Black Mirror that is very popular. You might not have gotten to it I yet. I haven't gotten, no, I have not gotten to it yet. And he's Brendan Gleeson's son. Speaking of in Bruges. Yes. Oh my God. Exactly. Holy shit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's Brendan Gleeson's son. Wow. Did so Brendan he... Gleeson have a kid with, um, I don't know, Kate Blanchett or something? I was like, who does he look like? <laughs> he looks like he looks like a famous actress too. I don't know if he's a famous mom, but I don't know if his mom is famous. But I know that he is. I think I I don't know why people are horny for him. I think he just has. He kind of brings that millennial weirdo edge to things where he'll choose roles that are unsuspecting and like he kind of isn't afraid to go um to a strange place and then he's like a little cute ginger yes i he, he belongs to a group of people that i always see memes about and they're always like horny memes and i'm like where are people seeing him to be horny for. Like, I'm just like, and I kind of oh gotta God. be admit, I gotta admit, I kind of feel this way about Pedro Pascal, which I know he's your boy, but it's like, I see those memes and I'm like, how do, how do I get to see things? And then I right. realized, oh, it's a Star Wars thing, which is, of course, I'm not in that world. Exactly. So I don't know it, but I'm just like, when I see these people, they're like doing like a press junket and everyone's like, did you see the way that this guy, like, he like, scratched his leg god it's so hot and i'm like <laughs> well i think i think we can, we both agree that the world is too horny <laughs> now like people are too horny <laughs> for any and everything yeah i gotta say the world is you are absolutely right about that it makes sense that you're like why because a lot of the times i'm like why this is just a this is just a man doing his job like why are we so horny for this and this is not, to, this is no disrespect to any of these people. Like, uh, yes, these people are famous. I'm like, yes, you're, you at some point are beautiful enough to appear like 30 feet tall in a movie. Like, mm -hmm. you're, I'm not saying that any people are ugly or anything like that, but it's just that is that moment where you're like, are people like really bent out of shape because there's like this weird moment where he scratched a leg in a press junket interview and now people have taken that as a message to their to their fiery loins. I don't know like what is happening. These little moments and I'm like like okay, like I guess it's just that thing where it's like a, it's a new generational horniness that maybe exceeds Absolutely. my own horniness which is crazy. So, I you know I send you all these wild videos on Instagram. I just DM you all these videos all day. Yes. So now my algorithm is so fucked and I get these things that are like look at this actor's hands and it's just like a supercut of like <laughs> hands. And I'm like y'all are too horny. You need the you need the gentle touch of a stethoscope on your back. Like get you out of the surprise. house and go get touched. Just ge very gently. <laughs> Go to your gynecologist. Get a surprise shocker. <laughs> get it out of your fucking system. I know you haven't been... Like, it's the fucking pandemic and you yes. haven't been touched. Go get touched. Get a massage. Something. <laughs> People are so horny. But yeah, yes. he's also... I mean, he, Donald Gleason has a great... Just a, absolutely a, a great career. He was in Ex Machina and yeah. um, 
this he was just in a really good TV show on Hulu called The Patient. Um, but he's just kind of a an interesting weirdo. Like yeah. he just kind of chooses different roles. You never know what he's gonna do next. And he yeah. kind of um I don't know. I just think he's 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 one. Of, he's a smarter actor. He's one of the smarter yeah. actors who who chooses things that are cool. Well, and I definitely now knowing what I know about the movie, he definitely seems like John Ronson's avatar or something. You know what I yes. mean for this experience. So, um, and his dad is Brendan Gleeson. I mean, King. I mean, King. look, you're gonna, you're going to go and research this movie now after you've watched it and after we've recorded, and you're gonna, your mind is going to be blown. I know. I and can't wait. I so I know you don't want to reveal it. I could go another hour about who's underneath that head. I know. (laughs) I could too, but I want people to watch it without knowing. Well, listen, this was honestly like a really good just press play. Because like I said, I went in completely blind. I curbed my impulse to research and it definitely paid off. Like I was definitely like, what the fuck is about to happen in this movie? We we will do this theme again because I really like pushing you and challenging you in that way yeah. to like not do the the oral history the research beforehand and just see what you what you think about something yeah. that is a little bit that you don't know anything about. And this is definitely a you movie through and through and through. I was like, this is Danielle, signed, sealed, delivered. What what is a me movie? <laughs> just genuinely weird moments involving people from the UK, like. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, this is like exactly what like what Danielle is all about. Like that's what I. Anytime I'm just imagine that anytime I'm alone in my house, I'm watching something like that, something weird. Yeah, I was like, if this is a weird movie involving somebody from either Britain or Ireland or Scotland or something else, like bring it on over. Danielle. That's my fucking wheelhouse. Well, your it. movie, your movie is very you. <laughs> oh God, that is disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this. Well, shit. Ooh. I mean, let's just get into it because this is going to be... Uh, I don't even know what to say. Uh, I was definitely trying to push your buttons. Let's just say that. Oh, you uh, pushed something. You pushed me. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so, uh, my movie for the theme, Just Press Play, is a film from 1973. It was written by Abe Polsky. It was directed by Ted Post, and it's called The Baby. You should have let them take him. Oh, but you're not talking about that circus. Mm-hmm. They wanted to put him in a sideshow. We should have said yes. You're calling your brother a freak. No, oh, Mama. I just thought it'd be better that way. Oof. Okay. Um... <laughs> So I um so I wrote about this movie for my book because it is truly one of the strangest movies I've ever seen. Oh yeah. Okay. And a lot of what I'll keep going back to is just getting your thoughts because you're you've never had you heard of this movie before? I'd never heard of it. I'd only heard of it from your book okay. and I'd never seen it. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> and when and- I press play within 10 minutes, my world was rocked. Yeah. It, it It's one of these movies, I feel like, I mean, I don't know if I'd call it a handshake movie necessarily, but it's one of these things where it's like, do you want to get one of your friends real good? You want to <laughs> make them watch this like really weird movie, like put on the baby. Because that's kind of how it was presented to me. Was that really? somebody was like, you know, oh, you're into weird stuff, you like the baby? And I'm like, 
what's the baby? And they were like, oh, God, you're not even ready. Strap the fuck in, bitch. And I'm like, okay. You know, I always feel like, okay, that's a lot of pomp and circumstance. A lot of times people say that shit. And then it's right. like, I watch the movie and I'm like, falling asleep within 15 minutes. No, no, no. This Mm-mm. one delivered for me. So, and did you watch it alone the first time you watched it? Or did you watch it with the person that was like, you have to watch this? I watched it by myself. Ooh. I, I rented the DVD and was like, what a fucking weird movie. Like, yeah. why? And it's even weird on top of the fact that it was marketed as an exploitation movie. Like, for an exploitation movie, mm-hmm. this movie is weird. Right? Absolutely. And yeah. I, I had so many questions when I was watching it about... How did it get made? Like, how how did this movie come to be? Yes. Because it's so weird. Yes. And see, here's so here's the thing. I'm going to just, the one sentence synopsis for this film, just so we can orient you right off the bat, okay? It's very simple. Three women raise a grown man who acts like a baby. Could not have said it better. That's the gist of the film, right? So... Of course, you know, when you see something like this, you're like, what is the story here? I And when I was writing the book, I was doing a lot of research on it, and I could not find a lot of information about the person who wrote it, Abe Polsky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you go to his IMDb, he's got, like, about eight writing credits. A lot of them are for TV, but then just a couple of, like, strange movies. Um, nothing, like, super popular or anything. But yeah. it's like, the thing about it, I mean, I went down the rabbit hole when I was, I was like, can we, you know hire a private investigator to find out who this guy is. I mean, it was just short of that, basically. Can we contact some family members? Can we go (laughs) dig into LexisNexis? (laughs) But yeah, so I, you know, I was really like trying to find something about, because how could you write a movie like this and not be out there? Like somebody, somebody had to have tried to ask him, so you had the concept for this movie, right? What's that about? And yet, I could not find anything. Nothing. If somehow you're out there and you figured out something about him, email us at asawatyoudidpod at gmail.com because it's fast. I'm fascinated and I want to know. But I will tell you this. The director of this film, okay, is Ted Post, who, you know, he actually had a very long career. He directed tons of TV. So he had done, like, Gunsmoke, Perry Mason... He had done a few movies prior to The Baby, right? So he did, like, Hang Him High with Clint Eastwood. He directed, like, the second Planet of the Apes movie. But honestly, nothing like this movie. Nothing like The Baby. Nothing ever again. Right. Oh, my God. And if you get the Arrow Blu-ray of The Baby, they did a Blu-ray a few years ago. There's a great, like, phone interview with him in the uh, special features where he... He himself, the director of this movie, is like, yeah, this is uh, pretty much the weirdest movie ever. (laughs) And I read the script, and the reason why I made it is because it was genuinely just the nuttiest thing I'd ever heard. Like, he... Oh, good. And I I find that fascinating. Because it's like, imagine, like, being a director and being like, oh, I just, you know, direct episodes of Gunsmoke and, you know, fucking Perry Mason. And I'm just like a, a real, like, you know, long haul, like, career director and I'm just going to randomly decide to direct a a movie about an adult baby. And like, I can't believe nobody asked him like, what was in it for you? Like, why? Why? What was in it for you? Right. And you see, you frequently, you know, when you're traversing these like cult movie streets, you know, you will read like the backstory on a lot of stuff and you will be like, oh, this like 65 year old 
director of television did the Garbage Pail Kids movie and he did it for money. <laughs> yes. He did it for money and he did it for like director's guild insurance. And yeah, like, he had to keep I, that insurance and keep those those creds going. That's right. And you're like, I see you, makes sense. This is how Lorraine Bracco ended up in, fuck, I think, how <laughs> Lorraine Bracco ended up in Hackers. She's like, I gotta keep that SAG card. Yes. And... Listen, hats fucking off. I Anything you got to do to get that bag, I get it. But it's that thing of like, I think it sounds like, you know, based on what I've heard in this interview and other things that I've read, that Ted Post was just like, yeah, let's just make a weird movie. I don't know. This seems weird. I'll do it. Why I'm in the a fuck mood. not? <laughs> if it pays me money, fine. And he was actually the one that brought in Ruth Roman to play, you know, Mrs. Wadsworth, who's like the mother of Baby. Really? I mean, Ruth Roman... You know, classic movie actress. You know, she's she's been around for a long time. And, you know, a lot of this movie, too, is it kind of... It, it, I would categorize it as a grand dame guignol movie. You know, psycho bitty, hagsploitation. You know, I think we know why. There's a lot of, like... <laughs> a lot of, like, older women trapping characters. And that is a very common th- theme of, of those mm-hmm. types of movies. But, you know, she was, like you know, basically, like, brought in to be this character. And I was reading that he was basically, like, telling the actors, like, I know you're going to think this is weird, but we're going to make these characters sympathetic and real, and it's not going to be this complete fucked-up scenario like you will be taken care of, which I actually think is pretty cool, right? Do you think they achieved that? I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> they have, but I'm just I saying they had cool. good intentions, right? Yeah. It seems the intention like. is very cool. I'm not sure they landed that <laughs> trick, but the intention behind it is very cool, and it does have a different vibe to it when you think of it in that way. Like it does; uh, these are characters that do have agency. Sure, sure, absolutely, and that's because this is the thing. It is very unclear, I think, what the actual situation is with Baby, (laughs) right? And we'll get into it a little bit when we kind of plow through the synopsis a little bit. But, like, there are times where you're like, wow, this is kind of fucked up. But I think that the, the party line of the film is that he does not have, like, a true developmental condition. And he's just basically a grown man who's living as a baby. Now, we don't know why necessarily. We know that the family is incredibly protective of him in a way that keeps him away from, like, third parties, so that maybe mm-hmm. that there's a family secret going on. And we know that his sister shocks him with a cattle prod, and we know that he gets locked in the closet. So maybe there is something. But it's, you know, that's the thing, is that it's a gray area, you know, Absolutely. if that makes sense. If that could make sense at all. <laughs> He's been pushed into this role and kept in this role for so long that if there is anything developmental going on, it's because he hasn't been allowed to actually develop. You know, yes. like you can see how having been treated this way for his whole life, he literally doesn't know any better. Right. Because, and, and thankfully, there is a lot of those parts in the film where, you know, there's a, there's conversations between the, the social workers about like what's going on here, you know? And I feel like if you didn't have that... It would be a little, eh, like, yeah. yeah. Um, but here's the thing. So let me let me kind of give you, like, the basic gist of the story, right? You have this social worker 
named Anne, and she was played by Anjanette Comer. At the beginning of the movie, she does, like, this home visit to this family named the Wadsworths, okay? The Wadsworths are composed of three women. There's a mother who is played by, like I said, the incredible Ruth Roman, and her two grown daughters named Germaine and Alba, and they are played by Mariana Hill and Suzanne Zanor. And they have a son. She has a son. They have a brother. Simply named Baby. And he is played by David Manzi. Okay. And the thing is, at the beginning, you can tell that the family has been visited by social workers many times over the years, right? Including the last one, who has apparently just disappeared. I mean... When so. you, any job where you're like the person who used to do your job is gone we, yes. have, we don't know what happened to them you leave that family alone yes it's a very dun 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 situation right and Anne comes in and she's very positive she's like she's got very thin eyebrows <laughs> very thin like almost 90s eyebrows yeah they right? were plucked within an inch of their life yes and <laughs> And she's very, like, you know, positive, like, hi, I'm just here to, you know, help you guys out. I'm I'm your new social worker. And, uh, you know, and Miss Wadsworth is basically like, you know, yeah, it's cool. Like, you guys come every six months. No big deal. Then the two daughters come in to introduce themselves. And they're very hot and hippie adjacent in a very 70s exploitation way, right? Like, You've seen this before in those t- in these types of movies, these 70s exploitation movies. Like, one daughter is this, like, blonde, pigtail, like, Russ Meyer type. And the other one is kind of like a hot freak girl with, like, big <laughs> hair and eyeliner. You know, it's like they're the two hot daughters. That hair. Yes. Jermaine's hair goes through some changes in this film, and yes. each of them worse than the last. Yes. Her party se- scene... Hair is very, oh my she's God. got a very Sisters of Mercy esque look. Ah! <laughs> she's, she's got the look. They both do. They both do, right? Oh um, my God. But basically, you know, the family is sitting there with Anne and they're basically, and Anne's going like, who's the father? What's going on with the baby? And Mrs. Wadsworth immediately is like, baby's dad ran off and he was a weak man, no character. And apparently all the kids in the family have different fathers and they have all fucked off, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine, I mean, this is the setup for the Grand Dame Guignol character, the Mrs. Wadsworth character. Because she's basically like, all the guys in my life have fucked off. I hate men. You know, this is this is the setup for, for this kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, cut to the baby reveal. Right? Because at first you don't know. You're like, are they talking about an actual baby? No, they're not. He gets revealed, and he is a grown man who is sleeping in a crib and is wearing diapers and baby clothes. Okay? Now, how how old do we think the baby is? <laughs> I thought about this. Because he's old enough to have kind of like Beatles mop top hair. Yeah. I would say 27. What do you think? That's fair. I, w- I would think early 30s, just because of how many social workers have visited and how often they visited. Like, yeah. at least early 30s. But it's hard to tell. He's just a grown man in a crib, in a huge crib. Yeah. Oversized crib. It's like, 
the incredible shrinking woman type of stuff, right? Like giant, ah! giant furniture. So I have to ask you, like, what were you thinking when you saw this? I was thinking it was going to pivot to porn very quickly. Yes, yes. Because that is all I know about adult babies is that it is a kink. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to see any of these people fucking anybody. And see, that goes back to, like, I think the big gray area question about what's going on here for real. It, there's a sexual vibe mm-hmm. in this movie, right? Like, I'll, we'll get to it in just a second because there's like this infamous scene with a babysitter that is too outrageous. I can't even think about. And it happens so early in the movie that I'm like, oh, is that what this movie is going to be about? Right. And this is kind of, I think, what was kind of the way that it was promoted as a as an exploitation or like a shock exploitation movie where it's like, imagine a man who's a baby and has got these two hot sisters that walk around in booty shorts around him and blah, blah, blah. You know, you're just like, okay, like this is grindhouse trash, right? right. But the weirdest part to me is that so you're, you're watching this scene, you get the reveal, and you're like, holy fuck. You, you scope out on what's actually happening, and you're like, oh, this is an actor who has to act like a baby for this role, mm-hmm. which is very bizarre. And he is pretty much going for broke in this role. The sounds are interesting, too. Like the, yes. I, I'll, I will let you talk about that, but like seeing him acting as the baby and then hearing the sounds of the baby, it's so incongruous yes. and like off-putting. Yes. It's wild. It is definitely because here's the thing. Initially, the actor was apparently making his own baby noises as he was playing the role of baby. And apparently, it was too weird. So they went in and dubbed <laughs> in. <laughs> so apparently, they went in and dubbed in real baby noises. And I guess he's just lip-syncing to the baby noises. I'm having a hard time imagining anything being too weird for this movie. (laughs) I know. Well, and I gotta say, maybe it's worse. Is it worse (laughs) that a grown man is um, lip-syncing baby noises being made by a real baby or doing his own? Right. I mean, maybe it's six in one hand and half a dozen in the other. I don't know. But it is very bizarre that this any of it is happening. Obviously. Oh, shit. Uh, also, I gotta say, like, the next scene after this, after the reveal, is um, Mrs. Wadsworth is lotioning baby's legs. And remember when you said that lotioning your legs was not self-care and it was for serial killers? hmm I think you're right. After Thank seeing you. this scene, I was like, I changed my mind. It's not, it's weird. It's not self-care. Thank you. Every time you see someone lotioning from this point on, you're gonna be like, mm. <laughs> Yeah, serial killer. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so you know, this is, so Anne knows this now, and then she just sort of starts coming over to the house more. She's kind of becomes obsessed with the case. She's going over there multiple times a week. I mean, her own bosses are like, why are you going over there so much? You've got all these other cases. And she's like, I can't help it. It's just so fascinating, blah, 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 blah. Also, the social worker, as she's getting to know the family, they're, they're, they're like asking her, so who are you? What's your story? And apparently she has a husband, but it's very unclear as to whether he's alive or dead or around. It's very she changes her story a lot. So yes. now you're starting to feel like, okay, this Anne woman, what's her deal? Right? 
Like, mm-hmm. she's come in as that altruistic, like, social worker, but she seems sketched, too. And She gets real sus. Real sus. Um, so we're going to cut to this babysitter scene because it just has to be talked about. This is what sends the movie over the fucking edge for me, where I'm just like, this is the one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. So the Wadsworth ladies go out on the town, and they hire this babysitter. She is a grown woman. And at a certain point, she's, like, chatting on the phone. She goes up to Baby's room. Baby's, like, being fussy. (laughs) And at some point, she, like, takes him out of the crib and then starts breastfeeding him. And he initiates it, which is why I'm like, he's sus, too, acting like a baby. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it is very disturbing and weird. <laughs> like, even to this day, I'm like, yo. Like, no, 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 no. Oh, Please don't do she's that. Like, she's like, don't do that, baby, no. And I'm like, uh, this is where I think it's going to get into porn. Yes. Oh, yeah. This <laughs> is going to be some some fetish shit in, in a second, in a hot second. So... Luckily, it doesn't reach that point because the really? Wadsworth women come home, they see the what the fuck is going on, and then they just kick her fucking ass. Like, they're <laughs> like... Ruth Roman is, like, punching this woman in the face. <laughs> this is also where the movie took a turn for me because I'm like, why? Like, they are very vi- violent, very volatile. Yes. And very protective of this this man baby. Like, what is going? It just again layer leveled up on the the in terms of the layers of the questions that I now had. Oh, a hundred a hundred percent. And that that's kind of like I was expecting like a text of my own from you being like, "Why have you made me watch this depraved, fucking oddball bullshit?" But like, oh you know, God. you hung in there. I'm pr- I'm very proud of you. I um, hung in, <laughs> but. So there's a lot going on then, too, after this, because essentially, you know, you realize that he is actually being abused by his family, which is, like, fucked up. And you're like, well, then, okay, maybe they're, like, kind of forcing him to stay a child for some strange reason, and we don't know why. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, it gets a little murky. And then, you know, Anne, the social worker, is starting to try to you know, introduce the idea of sending him to a home that he needs to be looked after and Wadsworths are like, fuck this, shut it down. They kind of start icing her out, right? Although, at a certain point, they actually have a birthday party for baby. And it is, like, imagine this. So they have a birthday party for a baby, and it's like a Wild Angels hippie party. Exactly. Where and I'm like, how do you know these people? Also, if you notice, I don't know if, if anybody notices this, the babysitter is at the party. Yeah. So they kick her ass and she shows up. And I'm like, is and that made me think, like, is this a cult? Is this like they're all in on this baby thing? Right. I was like, well, you got the invite. Like, I guess it wasn't that bad. Exactly. <laughs> like, they just broke your nose, but then you're like, sure, I'll come to this party. It's all good. Like, I'll I got to go to this party because Dennis, the self proclaimed skin freak, is going to be there. <laughs> oh my God. Talk about serial killer. Anyone that calls himself a skin freak is a little, uh, you know. I'm just a skin freak, and I'm like, you need to say more about that. (laughs) Can we just make a sequel called Skin Freak, and it just be about you? Ah! (laughs) Me debunking (laughs) self-care. Yes. 
<laughs> well, and like, so what happens at the party is that the fucking, you know, Anne shows up, the social worker shows up to the party and they ended up like drugging her drink and they tie her up and put her in the crawl space, right? And Baby wanders into the crawl space and somehow she gets free. By the way, I was, her sequence where she's like trying to undo her, you know, her straps or whatever, the rope, I was like, damn, it would be great to be like all little so you could just like wiggle out of your, you know how she like, she had her hands tied behind her back but then she like was able to tuck her feet into the hole and then was like, I'm free. I'm like, I can never do that. Like I'm not built that way. Some contortionist shit. If I was a lithe social worker, I could do that in no time. But It would take me at least three weeks to stretch these hammies enough to be able to even (laughs) attempt it. I was like, you know, I got bad knees. I can't bend for that long. (laughs) Fuck that. But then, like, so basically, you know, she escapes and then she, like, takes baby away, right? And here's the thing. So I'm not going to, like, completely give away the rest of the movie. I will say that she kidnaps baby or, I guess, takes baby away to her house, okay? She has this mother-in-law that's there. Um, It's very unclear what the deal is with them, but then the Wadsworth women come to try to get him back, and then all hell just truly breaks loose. Like, it just becomes really crazy. And w- one thing I did love about this movie, going in blind, like, I like that it had so many different twists. Yes. Like, it had a lot of turns, a lot of, like, well, what's going to happen? Why are they doing it? Like, and, and questionable things, not, not, not in a way that was confusing, but just in a way that was very interesting. Like, I wanted to keep watching to figure out like, what is actually going on here? Yes, absolutely. Because there's the idea of that unreliable narrator, right? Mm-hmm. So you have, like, the person that you think is going to be the the one that saves the baby from something. But then you're like, but now she's sus. And I don't know mm-hmm. how to feel about this. And I think that's great because it turns it into kind of like a, like a kind of a mystery horror type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the weird adult baby porn that you maybe thought it was going to be, right? <laughs> they really they really veered away from it. And uh, to their credit, like you said, they made me think, like, this is a mystery, this is a horror, there are other things to focus on after a while, yeah. where the adult baby is like, oh, yeah, he's there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's going on with this part? Well, and I do think there. part of that is because of the director. I think Ted Post, right, it's almost like, yes, you could have easily had this movie being made by Herschel Gordon Lewis or some like very like, mm-hmm. you know, classic cult movie director, right? And it would be the baby porn. Like it would be the like, you know, adult man in diapers who is, you know, and and his two like grindhouse hottie sisters, okay? But I think that Ted Pope's being sort of the like, kind of like cult movie outsider that he was, who had a lot of practice making television and very contained stories, was like, well, I can make this a real movie. Like, Mm -hmm. I, you know, as much as there is a lot of creepy shit going on, he's like, oh, I can, we can figure this out. And I think that that is sort of, like, great, because it it saves it, I think, from devolving too, too much, even though it is truly bizarre. Like, it's just a bizarre film. Right. It is definitely to his credit that he was able to do that, but yeah. it is a weird movie. Yes. And I, 
I'm uh, I'm really proud that you stuck with it because I mean, I will say this when I when I programmed it for TCM like the first time, like this was probably like ten or so years ago. I remember one of our producers who um, essentially he wasn't working on underground stuff. He was just kind of like a, a guy that works on other things, and he, he's no longer with the company. But he he came up to me and was like, "So I saw this movie called The Baby." last night and i i just heard that you programmed it and <laughs> and i and i have to say like that is the weirdest strangest thing that has ever aired on the network and i i don't even know what to say like he just was like you know it, <laughs> he had so many questions <laughs> he had so many questions but he was kind of giving me a look like what's r- r- potentially wrong with you what absolutely you, you know so oh god and it, it was all in good fun i mean he just doesn't it seemed to me that he was not interested in movies like this. And I loved right. kind of giving him the shocker, if you will. So. <laughs> the shock of his life. He's like, let me try it on this channel I work for where we program old movies. What? Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, there's actually like a great Blu-ray of it. It has tons of special features. It's, 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 it's a great way to see it. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I just had to bring it to the table this week because you were telling me the concept of just press play. And I was like, well, there's only one I can think of. So it could not have been more perfect. And I don't know <laughs> that I would have ever watched this movie in any other context, but that's what I love about not just this pod, but about our friendship is that I'm constantly exposed to films that I might not ever have seen. Yeah. And I like having the context for this film and like and watching it without knowing anything about it really heightened a lot of the mystery and the drama um and it made me really have to focus in and pay attention to like things that were going on behind the scenes yeah. and kind of it it was a puzzle for me to try to guess what was happening and I kind of like that too. Yeah. Well, no, that's great. I love that we challenge each other and uh I I don't know like th- this theme is really fun. We have to do it again. I mean, we got to do this again. Uh, yeah. I think we we find like a little devilish pleasure in freaking each other out. So, why not just Put it out in the open. Continue the tradition. <laughs> and look, we've we've watched over 200 movies together already. Like, we got to yeah. mix it up sometimes for ourselves. Abs- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, my gosh. So fun. Well, if you want to email us for any reason, we are at isawwhatyoudidpod at gmail.com. Please send us questions if you have them for the bonus episodes, which, of course, are now on the main feed. Um, we're having a lot of fun on those. Uh, make them short, too. You know, just... For time's sake, we would appreciate it. Oh, yeah. The shorter, the better. And you can find us on our social media accounts at Isawpod on Twitter and Instagram. That's right. Also, if you want merch, you can go to the I Saw What You Did section of the Exactly Right shop and find it all there. And we have bonus episodes. So new bonus episodes are dropping on the main feed every third Thursday of the month. That's a new schedule. We never had a schedule for our bonus episodes before, um, but you can count on them every third Thursday of the month. Plus, the old bonus episodes are going to be slowly trickling out into the main feed every couple of weeks on Wednesdays. Um, keep paying for your Wondery Plus if you want to get our episodes, our new episodes a week early. Um, but eventually, all those old bonus episodes are going to be up on the main feed. Absolutely. Danielle. Do you want to tell the folks what the movies for the next episode are? Oh, I do. I do. And I I don't know if you're going to guess the theme. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) But the movies for next week are 
Close Encounters of the Third Kind from 1977, and All That Jazz from 1979. Yeah, this is going to be really tough. I just have to say. It's going to be a good episode, though. I can't wait to talk Uh, about these with you. Me neither. Listen, Danielle, always a fucking pleasure doing this podcast with you. I love it. Let's high five to these new doctors we got in our lives. That's right. (laughs) Oh, see you next time, everybody. Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced by Casey O'Brien. Mixed by Edson Choi. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit ExactlyRightStore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.